Welcome to episode five of the RBM podcast. We have even Servin on this week. Uh, before I begin with the end, I want to personally thank everybody for listening and your continued support. I appreciate all the feedback and uh, comments that, uh, um, that, that we've seen. So I, I appreciate that very much. Some of the movies out this week uh, that we had a chance to watch were Knives Out and Ford versus Ferrari. Uh, both have their different uh, takes, but uh, it's something you guys should check out. Uh, the cinematography on Ford versus Ferrari is is amazing, and uh, it's also interesting how they used wide-angle lenses to get the intimacy within the within the car and still be able to capture some of the action on the ends of the frame. And it's just an, an interesting way of people using large format sensors and and uh, a wider angle lenses to to kind of capture that. And I I found that it was it was just filmed great. So with NAB coming up, we're excited, and hopefully we get to meet some of you out there. Uh, we're hoping to do a couple of remote interviews as well, uh, and also review some of the tech uh, that is coming out. Um, on, other exciting, on another exciting front, we had done a music video called Professional Smiler, which was released last uh, October, and as the last count, has almost uh, a million eight hits. Um, one of the topics we'd like to get into in future podcast episodes are spec work, whether to do them or not. Are they worth it? And I can at least share some of our experiences with it. Um, and some of the concepts we believe in is never just giving out work for free. We, we believe that you should value your work. And even if you're doing it for barter or trade, it's never looked at as for free. Um, and I'm also excited about some of our future guests coming up that uh, I think a lot of you will also get uh, great value from. One of the challenges we have today is working through companies and how to make better marketing films for them. Um, but really, how do we navigate through some of these obstacles? More, more and more companies are hiring their own video teams. Today's guest, uh, Ian, is uh, a Boston-based video marketing strategist who leads the in-house video team at Brightcove. We talk about today how we have wider access to film equipment and how that's impacted the mindset of uh, the modern filmmaker. Um, we also get into how production companies can find their own, uh, own identity. And finally, we go into a little on how he balances a busy life with his career. Without further ado, here is Ian Servan. I've only been doing this maybe 10 years, you know, which is not that long compared to a lot of folks in the industry. But, um, you know, I've been through really great times. I've been through really hard times. And um, the amount of, like, whether or not things were good or bad, didn't really depend on whether or not I was engaging with people and talking with them and trying to figure stuff out. Like my amount of openness didn't like decrease the job opportunities I had. So, um, yeah, I, my always try to trend towards sharing as much as possible. I mean, and, and have you noticed it? Uh, and I, as I said, it's kind of a weird time. Um, as far as the, uh, you know, the, the, um, the film industry or the, um, um, basically what whether it be event or, or commercial or narrative um that uh i and I, I want to talk a little bit about a little about a little bit later about how it's been so democratized you know as far as uh people yeah. getting access to cameras um what do you how, what do you think of that it's pretty incredible um you know it's one of those things where it's a total double-edged sword right you know you're giving cameras to people that don't necessarily know how to use them 
And so you're getting really interesting results because you're giving a voice to people that had something really interesting to say, um, but maybe didn't have the technical expertise to do it. And, and now all of a sudden they've got these tools and they can make amazing stuff. We actually have someone at Breakcove who is not someone who's on our video team, but he is a really talented uh, marketing person. He's, he's a product specialist and he's a really prolific vlogger. He's a real big fan of Casey Neistat and the whole blogging movement. And he's been doing that personally for a long time. And he's been wanting to find opportunities to do that for the company as well and, and figure out how to contribute there. And there really haven't been a lot of them because it's, it's really challenging to sort of fit into a traditional production team and, and a traditional marketing structure if you're not familiar to doing that. Um, but he's been a really great partner. We've worked with him on a couple of really high profile projects and he's delivered amazing work. And I think the, uh, the lower barriers to entry for video um, are perfect for someone like him because he can really be creative and not have to sweat a lot of the technical stuff that someone on a bigger production has to. And he can still make content that is really engaging and really amazing um, and really useful from a marketing standpoint. So I think it's really awesome. I think the flip side to it is that now that everyone can be a content creator, you really have to focus on education and figuring out like, okay, if it's not the gear that differentiates content anymore, right? That's not sort of a gatekeeper. Um, you have to teach people sort of like the philosophy, right? The, the principles at the back end of like what makes a good video. Uh, some of that's technical stuff, right? You know, like making sure that your sound's good and, and all that kind of stuff. But a lot of it is also just um, storytelling and how to, how to be a good storyteller and what formats are most effective to communicate a certain message and, and all that kind of stuff. So the technology barriers are lower than ever, but you still have, um, you still have to figure out how to create a compelling story. And I think the, the other aspect of this is that the barriers are lower for everyone. And so competition is higher than ever and noise is higher than ever. And so, you know, it might be easier to make a video, but it's, it's harder to stand out. And so the people who are the most creative, the people that are the most hardworking, I think are still being rewarded. Um, which is good. I, I don't see it as like a negative at all for the industry. I think it's like any other tool, right? Uh, if you have the access to it, people should get credit for uh, kind of thinking outside the box. And sometimes, as you know, there's some great technicians, but they're not very good at storytelling. They may know, I mean, you know, it, it, it's like uh, you can't teach somebody to paint. Um, I mean, you can, but exactly. it's it, it just, but what, what's scary, and I think a lot of people who naysay that are, are also maybe uh, people who've been in the industry a long time and they feel like they had to pay, you have to pay dues to somehow create good content. I mean, one guy I can think of is Peter McKinnon, who um, has, has come a long way uh, in a very short time. I don't know if he's the most talented person. Uh, I don't know that uh, per se, but I, it, he has enough talent and does does great things to uh, be able to, you know, certainly uh, progress his brand and certainly has made a splash. Yeah, I think there there are so many success stories, and it's really inspiring because people are doing amazing work with the shoestring budget, and and I look at that as a net positive for the industry because I think that, you know, that enables people to get the foot in the door that they never would have been able to in the past and then they can go on to create amazing work with more and more resources if that's what they want to do um so i i look at it as an opportunity multiplier for sure 
Well, that's, I mean, that, I, I, I do appreciate that. And, you know, speaking of that, one of the things that most, our, what, we, what our shop really, uh, the, the reason that we wanted to start this podcast is because our shop ha- is like most mid, uh, mid to small uh, uh, film production companies. And, you know, we've had a chance to be on uh, uh, features um, and had a chance to do small things even. You know, I mean, that's just kind of our, our variance. Do you do you yep. uh, how how do you how do you support people who are going through maybe uh, slow times and how uh, how do you keep their energy up and their positivity because you know I hear this a lot it seems to be a common thread now. Absolutely, I mean, I th- I think one of the most difficult things as a creative is sort of that feast famine cycle where whether you're a freelancer and you've got a lot of inbound client uh, projects in your on your plate or you're in-house at an agency or, or somewhere else, and you've got a lot of really interesting, really creatively fulfilling work on your plate, uh, it's really volatile. And one day you are writing really high, and the next day you are writing really low. And it's really tricky because you have to sort of balance it out. And so, you know, on the freelancer side, I, th- I think there are some business and, and sort of marketing tactics that you can use to help sort of fix your sales cycle and help smooth things out on a technical level. But I think when it comes to the creative aspect of it, a thing that I think a lot of people sort of forget about is, is sort of the education aspect and figuring out what are you doing to push yourself forward. So there are inevitably going to be times that are slower no matter what you're doing and times that are really busy. And when you're at the slow times, what are you doing to take advantage of that time to grow and to learn? Um, so whether that's like actual education, you know, taking courses, uh, reading up on things, experimenting, you know, doing some tests or, or that's, you know, actually creating some work, actually creating some personal stuff. Um, I think, you know, just like we were talking about the lower barriers to entry, like even if you are used to working on a pretty big production, you can still create compelling content with very little equipment, very little crew. And so I really don't think there are a lot of excuses for making, for not making personal work. I think there are plenty of opportunities to push yourself and grow. And that is extremely creatively fulfilling. And if you do that consistently, people notice. I think I look at a lot of um, artists or creatives that I'm a fan of, um, even just people like podcasters or YouTubers. And the one thing that separates them from other people who might also have creative ideas is that they have consistent output. No matter what's going on in their life, uh, no matter what is sort of going on in their work, they are constantly putting something out there for people to see. And that consistency is huge. And I think if you can put yourself into a position where, whether it's, you know, you're super busy, you're slammed, or there's not a lot going on, if you still have some sort of creative output that you are consistently putting your time and effort into, um, it will get noticed and, and you will get rewarded from it. I, I don't think I've seen a single person who hasn't put that effort in and hasn't seen really solid long-term benefits uh, on the flip side. So the uh, the old adage that uh, hard work does pay off um, certainly applies, huh? Yeah, and it, it's hard work applied consistently. I think you can't just do sort of one thing and be like, okay, I, I worked really hard. Uh, where's my reward? Um, you know, you, you have to do hard work consistently, uh, especially right now, you know, in, in the age of social media and the internet, everything moves extremely quickly. And so it's not about just making something great. It's really about building a connection with someone 
and you build a connection with someone the same, the same way that advertisers and brands try to build connections with consumers through multiple touch points. So you really have to build an audience and building an audience requires uh, a lot of work over a long period of time um, so that you are consistently, you know, entertaining someone for a little bit or making someone think for a little bit. And you do that a few times and they start coming back and they start sort of expecting that and really enjoying that and really engaging with you. Um, and that's when your work gets really noticed and that that's when you, you get all sorts of benefits. So it, it takes a lot of time and persistence, but it's totally worth it. It's one of the hardest things to do, but it's, it's one of the most rewarding for sure. Ian, how did you evolve into what you're doing now? I'm, I, I know that, uh, you, you were, you've done everything in, in the industry and, uh, you, you, you were with a couple <laughs> yeah. of different companies. Now you're with Brightcove, but how did you eventually, uh, evolve into what you do now and, and basically love what you're doing? I mean, we, we got uh, on this call a little late because you're working late and you're working hard. So, uh, yeah. tell me about that. How did you, uh, how'd you get into this? Yeah, so the, the sort of short summary is um, uh, when I was younger, I was sort of trying to figure out what I wanted to do with my life. I was in college. I was getting a degree in philosophy. I knew that that really didn't have uh, direct job prospects or anything. Um, I thought I wanted to be a lawyer, maybe. I was a professional ballet dancer, kind of, and I was really into that. But that also really didn't seem like a great long-term career thing. So I, I was just trying to figure stuff out. And one of the things that I liked as a hobby was photography. And so uh, when I was in college, I became a photographer for the, the student paper and really, really enjoyed it, really, really loved it. Um, and that was really eye-opening because it was right around the time of like the 5D Mark II coming out and this whole sort of DSLR video revolution. Uh, and so I started working with our sister TV station and producing these sort of like short very quick turnaround documentary films. Uh, I worked on a couple feature length projects and got really, really interested in that. Um, and then that sort of naturally led to marketing because there was such a push at the time and there still is for really creative storytelling in marketing videos and, you know, that sort of documentary style, you know, it's very in vogue because it's uh, relatively affordable to produce and brands really like that. Um, but it's also really authentic. And in this age where everyone is competing for attention and that is sort of the currency, uh, if you build uh, something, if you tell a story that really empathizes with your audience and, and gets them to connect with you, that really is sort of the only way through. You know, it's it's sort of hard to, to make meaningful connections at scale without doing that. You have to be authentic and manufacturing that authenticity is is really difficult. So um, that's how I found myself into marketing. And then since then, I've sort of bounced around to some agencies. Uh, I ran my own shop for a while, which was really fun. Uh, and then uh, the last couple of years, I've been preaching a lot to sort of bigger corporations about not just how to make creative work, but also how to build creative teams and sort of build processes and workflows that support creativity and really interesting sort of marketing strategies around creativity. And I wanted to actually put that to work. So now I work uh, at a big technology company. It's not an agency. It's not a video production company. We have an internal video team of a whopping two people and not necessarily a huge marketing organization either. Um, but it's so much fun being able to 
take all of the stuff that I was preaching to clients and, and now be responsible for like actually putting that into practice. Well, that leads me to my next question. Do you think more companies are, are going to that end? I, and, and correct me if I'm wrong. Is it the largest growing sector in, in basically filmmaking? I mean, even bigger than, you know, obviously narrative and, and commercial work. Tell me, is it, is it, are a lot of companies now deciding maybe we have to have our own video team instead of farming it out? Yeah, I think it's it's really interesting. I have a lot of friends that are uh, either considering or, or actively making the transition from client services to working an internal, uh, you know, production company at uh, a company, and there is so much opportunity out there, which is really really exciting. You know, everyone wants to make video, and I, I think people are finally understanding that. Um, you know, spending $20,000 with an agency to make a social post maybe isn't the most fiscally responsible path towards making video. Uh, and people are investing in creative people. And that's really exciting because they're making all sorts of really cool work. Um, I look at companies like Clavio, which is a e-commerce technology company also, I think based in Boston, I think and also San Francisco. And they've been doing really wonderful serialized content and providing these sort of like almost like Netflix like bingeable experiences and, and it's amazing it, and it's not you know rocket science it, it's just telling a good story and doing so consistently and you build an audience and you make something really amazing and it's it's been really cool to see stuff like that happen and more and more brands at all like tiers you know huge corporations and, and also small businesses are doing that kind of thing and it's really, really exciting. I mean, that is, uh, and that's that's just something I've seen. And it, it's really your your imagination's limit, right? And what uh, other what uh, corporations or companies you can actually pitch some of these things, which I, I really I'd, I'd love that. So why do you, why do you think most uh, most filmmakers or most uh, uh, content creators do social media poorly? I mean, I'd love to I'd love to hear your take on that. <laughs> I mean, I don't, I don't know if I do any better. I, social media is, I think, really difficult. It, it's, um, it's one of those things where, especially if you're within a creative community, um, you know, it feels weird to be self-promotional. Um, but at the same time, social media is really wonderful because you have this platform that is designed for you to share content. And if you can share content consistently, you build an audience, you build a following, and that's awesome. Um, I think some of the really like the most interesting jobs that I got when I was freelancing uh, in the camera department were through social media connections. You know, I, I ended up being a camera op on a really cool Nike spot um, from Twitter. And that's really awesome. And so I think it's really cool because it, it brings you closer together to your peers and, and also like your idols and your heroes in the industry. And, and I think the biggest mistake that you can make is not actually engaging and sort of like only sharing, you know, social media, it's a two way street. And so seek out other people that you like, seek out new voices, uh, engage with them, talk with them. Um, I think, you know, especially when I was coming out of college, I was really nervous about just approaching people and trying to learn about the industry and and figure out how things work. But people generally speaking, really love to share and they really love to talk about what they're doing and, and why they love it. And if you can engage with those people and you can do so in like a really authentic and genuine way, not just sort of looking for a gig or something like that, um, 
I, th- I think that's really, really helpful because uh, you can learn so much so quickly just by talking with people and then you start building relationships. Um, you know, like uh, Facebook, I, I don't really go to a lot um, just like browsing, but there are a few key groups of filmmakers that I love seeing what they're doing, uh, sharing what I'm up to and, and talking about the industry and, and what's going on with them. And I think seeking out those groups is, is so helpful. I, I think of the communities that I'm in on Slack, on Facebook, um, other places. And those are places where I've gotten work. Those are places where I've hired people from. Um, I, I think the biggest thing that people aren't doing on social media is, is talking with other people. And, and, and the more you do that, I think the more that you get out of it. So really the piece is that, hey, let me show you something and then kind of leave it because and expect people to just reach out to you instead of going the opposite way. And like we reached out to you, <laughs> I mean, that, yeah. which which uh, um, I, I think, you know, we took a chance. There's been people who've, who've turned us down. But, you know, it's amazing that most of the people we've asked have said, sure, we'll, we'll be on the show. Um, and that that means obviously a lot to us. And, and I think and I think it drives us toward you know, obviously being more open and just not having that one-way street uh, that a lot of us just do in social media. Um, that's definitely awesome. You know, a lot of uh, small shops as well, we have kind of an identity crisis. Should we be commercial? Should we do narrative? Are we an event shop? How important is it to kind of yeah. just, I see that a lot because, you know, first of all, you got to pay the bills and then you kind of go, well, yeah, we're going to take this job. Any advice you'd give to, uh, um, you know, a production company or, an individual trying to find their identity? So I think there are a lot of helpful things that you can do. Uh, you know, in the marketing world, we talk a lot about brand voice. And so how does the brand sound? What is What does it talk like? What kind of voice does it use? What does it talk about? Um, and you can get really specific. You know, you can talk about specific vocabulary. You can talk about specific sort of styles, dialects even. Uh, and I think that's a useful exercise to do even if you're just a person. And just think about like, who are you? What do you care about? How do you want to engage with the outside world? What do you What do you want to say? Um, and I think if you think about that and you speak with intention, I think that's the biggest thing. Um, I think the thing for production companies, I think it's really easy to be a little bit more over conservative when it comes to your brand and be really buttoned up because I, I think there are legitimately clients that appreciate that. But I think more and more what we're seeing is companies that really appreciate production companies and creatives with a voice and with a point of view and with a perspective. And so if you can just make that really clear what your point of view is, what your perspective is, what you are bringing to the table, you know, going back to our our conversation about technology and the, the lower barriers to entry, you know, it's no longer a differentiator that you have a really fancy camera. There are a lot of people that have a really fancy camera. But what story can you tell with it? What what are you actually bringing to the table that's different? Um, I think that's really critical. I think the other thing that's really important when it comes to brand is friendliness and, and sort of humanness, and you know shying away from being overly corporate because at the end of the day, the clients, the the people that you're working with are they're just other people, and not only do they want awesome creative output, but they just want to be able to work with a nice person. And like, you would be surprised. There are plenty of uh, individual creatives or or production companies or whatever that like aren't super fun to work with. And that sucks. And so if you can be 
the production company that is not only technically competent, but also friendly and understanding and helpful, and you can engender really positive client relationships, uh, you will go way farther than, uh, you know, uh, a production company that is technically competent, but like just they're all assholes. <laughs> you don't want to be that. I, I, we definitely uh, see our share of that as well. And, and frankly, from the other end, you don't, when you, when we hire out other people and who are subcontracting with us, you'll find out quickly if you're going to ever hire, you'll make that mistake once, but you won't make it twice, right? You will not have them back on set if they're not fun to work with. No, I, I was just going to say, like, I, you know, I think, you know, some people say like, don't hire your friends or whatever. Uh, but I think in production, it's, it's the opposite. You absolutely want to hire your friends. You want to hire people that you are fully comfortable spending 14 hours a day in a small space with, and you know, it's going to be fun. And then sometimes going back to one hotel room because, or Airbnb, that's all you can afford and, and then living with them and then starting it all over the next day. So yeah, you better make sure you can stand exactly. each other. So is there, are yep. there any projects you're working on that you're excited about or any, anything that you're, uh, um, you know, you're, uh, if, you know, obviously don't have to divulge company secrets, but anything that you're excited about? <laughs> yeah. Well, you know, we just actually got done. So, so I'm coming off the downswing of our major event. So every year we have a conference called play. We bring together hundreds of the video industry's most powerful, influential, awesome people, um, big giant media companies, big corporations that are doing really cool things with video. Um, also uh, creatives and and smaller individuals and, and smaller agencies and stuff like that. Um, this year was our biggest event ever. We had over 800 people join us in Boston for three days of learning and sharing and community, and it was awesome. Uh, it was also, I think, the most video version of this conference, which was really cool. That was sort of my mandate. So not only were we sort of doing the typical things like live streaming our general sessions and our keynotes, but every single breakout session, every single workshop, all of that stuff was recorded. And we're turning that around in, I think, like a record time. We're actually going to be launching stuff next week, which is really exciting. Um, and so we have hundreds of hours worth of content that we captured at this. And it's all really, really fun and really informative. And that was a really fun project to put on because I think um, a lot of people think about internal you know, production companies or, or internal video teams. And they're sort of small and they don't do a lot. And while our team is small, um, we still have enough social capital and, and we've proven ourselves time and time again that we're awesome and we know what we're doing, um, which is what you want. You know, even when you're internal, you're still building client relationships and you're building creative trust. But we have enough creative trust where we can do really big projects and scale that up. So you know, even though it's just me and my other producer, um, for play, we had a crew of around 40 people um, and two other, you know, production companies. So we worked with uh, a vendor that was mostly on the AV side and focused on sort of the main rooms. And then we worked with a production company that uh, I really love called Bottle Tree Pictures, uh, based in Boston, who handled all the field production. And so, you know, all the breakout sessions, we were doing testimonials, we were doing customer interviews for a customer uh, VIP program for, for sharing customer success. Uh, we were doing all these different things, all these moving pieces, and it was a really huge, complex project. And, um, and we got to own that. And so I think that's one of the really cool things about being internal is it doesn't mean it has to be boring. It doesn't mean it has to be small. Um, you can do really big things. 
uh, obviously with the right company, with the right team, but you know, it, it's all the same stuff that you think about as an agency or as a production company, as far as building creative trust and building really good client relationships. How, how can people get a hold or, or uh, view this content? Yeah. So um, if you go to play.brightcove.com or if you just go to the main Brightcove website, you will see links to it all over the place. So the, the conference is obviously o- over, but we, we are offering a virtual pass. So you get all of these hours and hours, literally, literally um, I think, what what is it? I think we're for the full sessions, it's like 53 of them and they're like an hour long. It's crazy. Uh, you can get all of that for, I think, 150 bucks for a virtual pass. And that, that'll be launching uh, in about a week or so. Oh, that's exciting. Uh, I mean, and yeah. Are, are you also uh, amazed? Because I know you, you actually had something set up on how to do uh, live casts and something we haven't really uh, delved much into. But the technology is amazing now and how, how uh, you know, like what we talked about earlier, how, how relatively easy it is to do, right? It's pretty incredible. Um, you know, I think back at the you know opportunities that I had when I was doing some broadcast work with ESPN or, or some of the other networks, and you think about all the infrastructure that's required to put on those shows, and you're able to do a really compelling live streaming with so much less hardware these days. Um, so for play, we were broadcasting at full 1080p, 30 frames per second at a fairly high bit rate, really high quality. Uh, it looked amazing. And we were using, uh, you know, like a Blackmagic Capture device going into a, a Mac Pro. Um, very simple stuff using OBS, which is free open source encoding software. Um, and, and of course, you know, we were hooked into a, a larger production and we had, you know, a bunch of cameras and, you know, a really giant camera on a jib which got all these wonderful overhead shots and and all this cool stuff and there was a lot of production value but on the technology side it is deceptively simple and you can do all of this um really cheaply and it it still looks great and it's very powerful and it'll perform well um and and it was awesome and and of course we were using the Brightcove platform to stream all this because we have this really wonderful robust live platform that tons of other customers uh, use and so it's really cool for us to use our own stuff we're, we're sort of spoiled in that way um but it's great so we were, we were streaming to the website we were uh simultaneously using our platform to stream to facebook as well um and it, it was amazing what was the technical setup for something like that like did you need a week uh, of of setup that was it a couple days or how much time did you need so in terms of actual load-in was fairly quickly so um the event was Tuesday through Thursday. We had initial equipment come in on Sunday, and Monday was our sort of loadout and test day. And uh, then Tuesday was sort of like a pre-show day where we did some rehearsals and, and stuff like that. But like uh, you know, on our end, the the setup is relatively simple, right? You're sort of like unpacking a computer, you're plugging some stuff in, uh, and you're you're setting up some software. And it's all very simple. Um, I think, you know, there's a lot of testing and stuff that goes on to make sure that you're delivering the highest possible product. But if you were to condense it down to like the very basics, it's really like a couple hours of setup, which is pretty cool. Um, and, and obviously, it, you know, it's, it sort of scales up or down from there. Um, all the other infrastructure is, is a different story. So, you know, obviously like we had trust and, and moving lights and all the different camera positions and, and all the camera and the audio infrastructure just for the overall event and the production around that. 
that took a little bit longer. That that was like a two three day load in. It it it's amazing, right? All that all that infrastructure. You're basically setting up, uh, you know, the Olympics, if you will, in a in a, in a smaller uh, smaller scale. And and you know how much they they'd be there for months trying to set uh, set all that up with having all the moving parts. So that's absolutely really incredible. It's one of those things where you know my my background is um, mostly on sort of the commercial side and sort of that sort of traditional production, but I've done a lot of broadcast in my career and. I really love it. Uh, there's something really, really fun about sort of building all of this infrastructure in a very short amount of time and delivering a really high quality product live, which is really scary and really difficult because there are no safety nets. And um, and then you're done and, and that's it. That, that I mean, that, that is great. So uh, will that be a yearly thing? Yeah, so play... Uh, happens every single year. Um, next year, we announced that we're going to be at the Encore in Boston, which is this giant new uh, hotel and casino that's that's opening up uh, actually in June. It's not, it's not open yet. Um, so it. we're going to have more space. We're going to have awesome uh, space indoors and out, and it, it's going to be amazing. So I, I can't wait. We're already starting to do some, some of the planning. Um, I already have you know calls set up with production companies. Um, and and we're sort of figuring out our workflow already because it's it's never too too early to start planning that stuff. Well, I'm I I think it's an amazing thing, and I'm I'm anxious to see um, you know see some of the content, and I'm I'm sure it can help a lot of people just by uh, just by even browsing through all the topics. Tell me about some of the topics. There's everything. Uh, it's actually it's really incredible. I, I think that was one of my biggest regrets is because I was running the show. Uh, on the production side, I didn't actually get to listen to any of it. So I have uh, a lot of binging ahead of me uh, with some upcoming travel. I'm going to be watching a lot of these videos. Um, so it, it's really everything. You, you've got um, really technically savvy people talking about how you can integrate video into all sorts of other marketing tactics and, and automation at a really deep level. Um, you have people that are talking about building OTT and online television platforms. Um, from scratch and like building an audience and, and building content around it and really building these huge enterprises. Um, you have people that are just talking about storytelling. We had a wonderful customer of, our, uh, of ours, Eastern Bank, talk about their approach to video marketing. And they do a lot of um, they do a lot of support of social causes and building documentary filmmaking essentially around those. And those stories are so inspiring and it's so cool to see I think what a lot of people would consider like a fairly like uh, stereotypically sort of uh, sterile or boring uh, industry like banking um, produce this really engaging, really interesting, really powerful content. Um, and not only is it just good in and of itself, but you know it, it is affecting their bottom line in a positive way. And so I think where that trickles down to creatives is you know not being afraid to take bold ideas and present them to your clients. And, you know, I, I think more people are becoming savvy marketers as well as being savvy creatives. And so they're learning more about how things work and, and how to measure results and how to talk to the impact of the work that they do. And so I think that's really important to learn. And so learning from the the people who are, are marketing professionals, not just creatives, is, is really critical. Um, but uh, that knowledge has to be paired with creative storytelling and, and taking a creative approach to making video content because you, you just have to 
There's, there's so much content out there. If you're not making content that is super engaging and super interesting and super compelling, um, you, you can't really move the needle anymore. And so I think the really cool thing about play is that is literally hundreds of people that are moving the needle. They are the best and the brightest uh, working at scales that are huge, working at scales that are a little bit more, uh, uh, m- more something that you can relate to as well. It really spans the gamut. But they're all really incredibly talented, wonderful people that are doing really smart things. And it's really cool because you can actually see their work in depth uh, and you also get a feel for what's coming up next too. I think that was the other really cool thing on the technology side is video is evolving. And in a lot of ways, it's becoming easier to deliver video. At the same time, you're able to deliver video in really powerful ways. Uh, and I think as a creative, if you can understand the strategy and the technology behind how video gets to someone and the different ways that it can get to someone, um, that is a really critical part of telling a compelling story is building the story for the distribution platform that you're using. So live streaming obviously has very unique characteristics. And so you want to build your story around that format. If that's the format that you're working with, um, you know, narrative storytelling and serialized content, especially has other extremely different considerations that you want to think of. And so I think as people are looking for ways to differentiate themselves in the market, creatives especially, um, really engaging with the community uh, on the marketing side and on the media side, I think is going to be really critical for them. I think uh, what, and it's interesting you bring that up because we've had um, clients approach us, uh, uh, for example, like in the insurance business, and 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 I'm I'm talking local, um, not 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 national yeah. brands and. You're thinking, gosh, how can I make this compelling, right? How can we? Because uh, a lot of them want to do the typical talking head with B-roll in the background, um, and yep. uh, it's usually them droning on about their about their company. Hardly that compelling, and it's not it's not all that interesting. But it's in, it, but I think you you bring up a great point on that you can actually that this is the time where you literally have to think outside the box and come up with innovative content and. This is where you yeah. stretch your creativity, um, I think, the most. And I think when you're having those creative conversations, sometimes the best sort of argument in favor of a creative solution is pointing to other people that have done it successfully. Uh, and I'll, I'll stop plugging play after this. But that's, I think, one of the great things about an event like play is um, you are hearing all of these success stories from leaders in the industry. And as a creative, you get to take that knowledge back and then share it back out with your clients to educate them too, uh, which I think is really cool and, and really valuable for them. I think I know you know when I've sort of done that sort of routine with clients and brought them back information that I learned from a conference or for, from you know an educational event or even just speaking with someone else. Um, that's really appreciated because I, I think the other thing about video is that it's still new, and um, I think every company is learning how to figure out um, how to leverage it the best way possible. And uh, yeah, if you can bring those innovative ideas from others and, and bring them to your clients and bring them to the conversations that you're having, um, that is an instant way to differentiate yourself from the average production company, the average agency. You know what I'm hearing is that the sky's the limit, really. I mean, there's so much opportunity, more so than not having opportunity out there, that you know that certainly is exciting. Absolutely. At no matter what scale you're working in, no matter what industry you're working in, no matter what kind of company you're at, 
there is a way to do something interesting with video. Um, and I think that's so cool that we're seeing all of these success stories, all these different formats, and really the only connective thread is that it's video. I mean, everything is so different. Uh, there's not one sort of right answer, uh, which is really cool. And, and experimentation, I think, is the most important thing that you can do. You know, you have to figure out what works, and in order to figure out what works, you got to try a lot of stuff. Um, and if you build relationships that allow you to be experimental and try a lot of stuff, um, you're going to have really fun relationships with your clients and, and with your customers. That's, I mean, that, that is awesome. You know, I'm going to switch gears a little bit and I'm going to maybe put you on the spot. You don't have to answer, but I'm, I'm, I'm sure. just always curious. How do you unwind? How do you balance? Uh, uh, do you have anything else that you do? And, and I always am interested to see how other people not only unwind and balance, but where they get their inspiration or are you always on <laughs> or, or do you have, do you find time to actually just focus on uh, rebalancing? Oh yeah, no, I, I do a lot of different stuff. Um, I don't know if this counts as unwinding, but I do a lot of volunteer work with the Red Cross. Um, I try to do an actual sort of like multi-week deployment every year. So uh, last year I responded to Hurricane Michael in Georgia. The year before that, it was Harvey in Texas. Uh, and that's really interesting work. Uh, sometimes I do have a camera and I do some public affairs and uh, content creation work. Um, but most of the time I'm behind the scenes. So I, I do some work in the government ops side of things, um, elected official liaison work, that kind of thing. Um, so that is like something that's completely different than filmmaking. Um, and like I said, I, I don't think it's necessarily something that helps me unwind, but is really nice to do that volunteer work, be out in the community and, and help others and build that empathy. I think as creatives, uh, empathy is probably the most important skill set that we have. It's understanding how our clients feel, how our clients think, the way that they talk, the things that drive them. It's understanding our audiences and what they care about and what they want to see and how you can connect with them. Um, and so I think volunteering is obviously just good on its own, but I think also as a creative exercise, um, it is really great to engage with people and help people uh, and just be a better human. Um, I think that absolutely makes you a better creative. Uh, other than that, I, I do a lot. I'm, I'm learning to fly planes, which is really interesting. Again, not necessarily something that helps me unwind, but uh, is a really fun thing to do on the weekends uh, and, and a cool thing to to be able to share with folks. Um, but yeah, that, that was really interesting. I, I think flying is, you know, it's not the least stressful thing in the world, but I, I think it is one of those things where, you know, it's really beneficial for me because you know, besides sort of the free flowing creative side of things, um, part of being a producer and, and sort of running shows and projects is um, task management and project management, things that are like a little bit dry and a little bit boring. Um, but like, you know, learning to fly, obviously, you, you rely a lot on checklists and very methodical thinking and very thorough thinking and uh, some creative problem solving skills. And so that is a really fun hobby for sure, but also something that I feel like is a, is a little bit of mental exercise, which is really nice and helps keep me sharp. I think that's awesome. And, and, uh, I think what seems like the hardest part is the radio communication, right? I mean, that's, that's a whole thing to get down, right? Oh, I love it. Um, yeah, I actually, uh, I'm part of a community, uh, with, with some friends and, and I know the, the people that created a, a training program that's literally designed to, to help people, 
uh, become better radio communicators. It's called Pilot Edge, and it's basically a synthetic uh, air traffic control network. Uh, this is super nerdy and off topic, uh, but um, yeah, they, they they do really interesting work. It, it connects with uh, you know like training simulation programs and, and stuff like that. Um, and and I was yeah, and I was into that for a long time. And and I remember I I think I got in the you know my first lesson, and I was flying out of TF Green Airport in Providence, which is sort of moderately busy airport. Um, and and radio comms were like no sweat. It was it was a lot of fun. Um, so yeah, you know, it's, it's like anything else. You sort of got to work that muscle. Well, um, I really appreciate you being on the show today and, uh, it was, uh, it was a lot of fun and certainly informative. I'm, I'm really looking forward to, uh, not only sharing your information, but working with you in the future. So, um, thanks for coming on. I really appreciate it. Yeah, absolutely. Thank you so much for having me. And there you have it. Ian Servin. Uh, I have my producer here, Christian and, uh, so tell me some of your challenges for uh, getting these podcasts together in, in, in such a rapid turnover. <laughs> well, it's tough. Um, well, first of all, recording these intros and outros. Um, some of these podcasts we've done uh, a few months in advance. Um, luckily, we finally got them out to you guys. Um, and thank you again for listening to this um, these podcasts. Uh, we were having a great time just doing these interviews, you know, um, getting to know some of these people more because we've only heard them from certain podcasts or, you know, some others that we've worked with in the past. Uh, the biggest challenge, again, just getting those interests done, getting everything edited and um, just putting them out. Uh, luckily, we have a great system uh, to get these podcasts out to everyone. So uh, we're really happy about that. Um, we're trying to release it early. We started releasing around 8 a.m. on or 6 or 7 a.m. on Mondays. We're going to move that to uh, around midnight. So let's say if you're somehow awake, then you can listen, go for it. <laughs> so, yeah. Christian, tell us about our next week's podcast. So we're excited for what um, we have next week. We have a really cool guest. Her name is Joyce Sang. If you haven't heard of her yet, I'd look her up. Um, she works for Only Today out of Portland, Oregon. And you've definitely seen her work. Um, if you are a big football fan, if you've watched the past couple of years, watch uh, the NFL on CBS. She has done the intros uh, for the, uh, I believe it was the AFC Championship game a couple of years ago. And I think she did an intro for the Super Bowl as well. Uh, one of the pieces was with uh, Peyton Manning and John Malkovich. Really well done. Um, I, felt, I feel like that the CBS sports brand does the best uh, cinematography out of all the sports brands. So, um, And she's definitely part of that. So she's done stuff for yeah, CBS Sports, Showtime, Facebook, Nike. Uh, so we're really excited to um, release this one next week. Hey, leave a comment and review on uh, whatever podcast platform you're listening on. And uh, please like us on Facebook and Instagram. We'll catch up next time. Thank you.